Hey folks, welcome to the Wrench Turners Podcast, a show that's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. On today's show, we've got a great individual that spent a quite a bit of time in parts and now has moved into service. This individual, Freddy, has been part of the STL family for a long time. He's a service manager of the International Autos Group. Um, you can find out all of the information uh, about him on LinkedIn. I'm going to make sure that I link it in the post on LinkedIn. If you just happen to be cruising on YouTube to find this, that's where you find it. And I, before we start, I want to read something that he wrote to me. You know, as some of you may understand that I ask all of my guests to write a very brief bio and a very brief list of achievements so that I can make the slide deck that I post on LinkedIn. But Freddie did a little bit more, and I couldn't fit everything on the slide deck. So I left something off, and I left the most important thing off the slide deck. And let me read it to you now. I thank God every day for all my blessings. I'm not perfect by any means. Only he can take this broken man that I see in the mirror every day and make him brand new every morning. Every day, I have the chance to impact someone else's life in a positive way, and I may not even know I did it. This is what motivates me to keep going and to continuously improve personally and professionally. Each interaction with someone else is a blessing. Love your neighbor as he loves us. Take a minute and soak that in, folks. Just take a minute, soak that in before we we jump into this episode because that's profound. No, Freddie, you are not broken. You are living life like the rest of us. And we appreciate you. Appreciate you giving all of yourself to us that we get to listen and share your life experiences. And on that note, folks, let's get into it. All right. So how did I get into automotive? Um, yeah, like like a, a lot of people, you know, I had a dream of, uh, you know, working long shifts, bell to bell, you know, 40 hours plus a week, you know, dying inside, not taking a lunch. Um, I had I had all of those visions when I was very young. No, it was nothing <laughs> like that. Um, I was actually dragged into a uh, aftermarket uh, mom and pop kind of chain uh, automotive parts store by a friend in high school. Uh, a friend I've recently connected with, his name is Frank. And um, when I started there, I didn't even know what an oil filter was. I, I didn't know anything. I, I came in into a job, uh, you know, I was like a part-time cashier kind of thing. Um, and eventually a lot of people quit, as a lot of people do in minimum wage jobs. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of one of the uh, most senior people there. So like, well, we need you to work the back counter. I, I can't even look up an oil filter. I can't look up a brake pad, you know. So all of a sudden, I was a parts guy by default. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where uh, that's where I started. Uh, I learned a catalog very quickly, uh, but I couldn't tell you, you know, the rotors and brake pads go together. I I didn't know that, uh, but that kind of started something, and uh, I started learning knowledge, and I started working on my own cars. Um, I, I went to uh, automotive school. I'm a uh, graduate of uh, Lincoln Tech, uh, for what that's worth. 
Um, but yeah, it started off, um, I became a parts manager um, later on, again by default, because the manager also quit. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden I was a nighttime manager. Um, and that's pretty much what rocketed since. So I worked for a couple of automotive chains, uh, you name it. I've worked for, uh, you know, track auto. I worked for AutoZone. I worked for advance and eventually made my way into a, a small Nissan dealership, uh, where I pretty much got my dealership start as a, as a parts counter, uh, then wholesale counter. And then I worked my way up to management. Uh, so I was, I did dealership parts for about a good 15 years uh and now i'm currently dabbling into service which is a whole nother leap all in itself so you're so you you got in because uh, you were forced into it because you like working long hours and then yeah. you you yeah. worked in <laughs> doesn't everybody yeah we all like working it, it seems to be a common trend most the majority of us that are that stay in automotive for a long time we we like pain i think that's the fundamental that's, thing is we enjoy yes. pain we're just sick in the head. Pain, pain uh, ends up, you know, as long as there's a paycheck, though, as long as there's a paycheck yes. associated that, that is uh, um, uh, comparable to the, the pain level, we're good to go. If the, yes. if the paycheck is better than the pain level, even better. Even better. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. I would, I've always said that, the, you know, even before, even before, um, I, I went to the desk even before I, I left the bench and got on the desk as a service advisor. I've always said service advisor is, is the hardest job in yes. fixed ops. It's the hardest I job. I fully in agree with that. Um, the second hardest job being, being a technician uh, because of liability reasons and responsibility of people's lives. And the third hardest job is parts manager. And the reason being is you get um, usually the lowest pay per responsibility point as parts manager. That's personal yeah. personal opinion based on experience. Um, and it's not necessarily a hard job. And I, I would never, I have never experienced being a parts manager or parts managers that ever had a hard job because typically, not all of them, but typically they are the folks that come in for eight o'clock, they go home at five o'clock, they take their one hour lunch, they take their 15 minute breaks, they work in that inside that that line, and for whatever reason, they have figured out how to do that seamlessly with low stress and low anxiety for the most part. Now it's the it's the top five percent that usually have high stress and high anxiety because they're the ones that are you know doubling and tripling uh, their ability to do wholesale. They're doubling and tripling their their retail. They're investing time, energy, and effort to to super high push on the technician teams to make sure that they're getting everything they need. Like it's ready, it's ready, it's ready. We got buckets ready, we got parts ready, we got this ready. We're booked, you know, ten. We're ten days out booked in service. I know I have parts. It's going to be here on day two, two days before the the car arrives, so that it comes in, it goes out, it's sailed. My obsolescence is like, that's the super high level one. But the other ninety five percent somehow manage just well at you know humming along. And I know I'm going to get flack for that. But, no, no, not at all. I argue with those guys. I fight with those guys <laughs> all day long. I fight with them on Facebook. I fight with them, you know, obviously first in the first one. I've worked with those guys. I fired some of those guys. Um, I definitely don't. Yeah. It's a big challenge, um, I think, for everybody in service to understand what it re what is required to be, because there are 
parts managers out there, in my experience, that don't get it. They they just right. they don't get it. They don't understand that they have to look at forecasting to try and predict what their what their business in parts is going to be like in six, nine, twelve, eighteen months. They they don't get that they have to look at the last eighteen months to understand how to look at the next 18 months. They don't look at technicians as a valuable asset to their business in order to succeed. You know, then there's those that do get it, but don't necessarily know how to implement it because they themselves were brought up in a, in a, in a, in a department where you had that manager that didn't get it. So they haven't learned. And there's so few parts managers in my experience that do get it that they're not teaching because it's not it's a it's very not a um like technicians we're born into a trade it is fundamental as part of a trade that it is journeyman and apprentice an apprentice finds someone who will teach them they will teach them and they grow parts people don't seem to have that it's you come in as a clerk that knows nothing about the industry nothing about the business nothing about what to do and the person that's leading you is the same person, but they've never got any instruction, never got any education or training, never or any know-how. So it's the blind leading the blind. Even if they want to do well, it's the blind leading the blind for the most part. And until you get people like yourself who've been around the block in lots of different business, lots of different leadership roles, to go, hey, these are the these are the things we need to do to be successful. Or you get, you know, people like Joe Chambers, you get Michael Barrett, who's like, these are the things that we need to look at. Forecasting. How are you and parts helping us? And they pull them up. Does that, does that make sense? Is, is that what you're absolutely? You're yeah, because yeah, most parts managers again they they get thrown into position. Most parts counterman get thrown into position. Hey, they were a porter once. Hey, you're working parts counter now. Okay, well, what do I do? Uh, just you know, just follow my lead or whatever, and then the guy quits on you. <laughs> you know, that never happens. That never um, happens. The long hours and low pay in parts. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, that's that's another thing. Is yeah, I mean, parts guys are some of the most unappreciated guys. It, it can get stressful back there. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's the worst job in the world, but I mean, there's definitely moments where you're, you know, you're shorthanded or, you know, you're putting up with a lot or you're, you know, as a parts manager, you're arguing with your service manager about pricing and discounts. You know, there, we, those discussions happen. But most of the time, the parts manager has never had any formal training, has never had any mentor or coaching. Um, probably can't tell you, you know, what he should be looking at, what metrics he should be looking at. You know, should he be looking at, you know, what does his obsolescence look like and how does he know how to track that? How does he know to be looking at, you know, what's over nine months? You know, how does he know to be looking at, you know, 30 days, you know, what's still sitting on your shelf, your SOP shelf, you know, you brought it in for a customer that service hasn't brought in for their appointment. You know, why isn't he tracking that kind of stuff? And he doesn't know to be looking at that. He doesn't know to be looking at his gross profit, not only, you know, on his retail and wholesale, but also in his service. You know, is he making enough gross profit through the service department? And mm-hmm. if he's not, why is he not making enough gross? Why is he not having that discussion with his service manager? You know, there's huge barriers between parts and service. Um, that's one of the biggest things that I'm a part, I'm a part of, you know, just breaking down those walls. Have a discussion with your service manager. He's not your enemy. You know, you can't sit in his office or he sit in your office and be arguing all the time. You are going to argue. Absolutely. Just like any relationship, you're going to argue. But in order to move forward, you have to learn how to argue. You have to learn how to discuss. You have to learn what values he or she has that 
relate to you and that you could help them in their values and vice versa, you know, but yeah, most parks guys don't even know where to begin. They don't know to be, you know, depending on your DMS, whatever you want to call it, your stocking groups or your sources, uh, Reynolds mm -hmm. and Reynolds CDK, uh, you don't know that you should be separating your parts by, by type. You know, nobody mm -hmm. tells you, oh, it's, it's everything's done under the common one I see is test or non-stocking or you, somebody's got some kind of acronym in parts and everything goes in there. No, no, you, you absolutely need a system that tells you what your parts are looking like. And it's easier to track things and find out where the problems are once you have a system going, but nobody knows where to begin. Nobody knows no. where to start. It's hard. Like you, you talk about being able to discern parts types and sources. Like if you, if you happen to be a parts manager out there, listen to this right now, or a parts advisor out there, listen right now, and you're struggling trying to get all this stuff done. Like you want to succeed. You want to better understand. You want to spend more time on the business, not in the business as a parts manager. There are tools and resources out there for you. Like for a great example is Kaylee Filio at Parts Edge, a great way to delegate some of your time as a parts manager so that you know your business is um, running better and excelling so you can spend time on forecasting, so you can spend time on what your history is like, what your, what your SOPs uh, doing, like you were saying, Freddie. If you, if you need a way to spend more time on the business, you need to find tools and resources and people to help you do that. That includes yeah. hiring better people. It, yeah. I, I say this to mechanics all the time, and I, I say it on the podcast as often as I possibly can. The most important thing that you need to do as a technician is find a high-value leader. In yeah. parts, if you're a parts advisor, the most important thing you need to do is find a high-value leader because they're going to teach you things. They're going to show you things. They're going to show you policies and processes that you can learn to upskill and better deploy yourself on the team because a high-value leader in parts helps Everybody, just like a high-value leader in service, helps everybody. Absolutely. Right? And it's crazy, absolutely crazy what can happen in a department when you have a high-value leader. You get somebody who's just humming along, clocking in, clocking out, eight to five, who doesn't care about what the team is really doing. They're, they're doing the functions of their job. Like Joe loves to say, it's a function of management. They're, they're functioning as management. That's yeah. about it. They're, they're, they, yes. they can say to their boss, they can say to the fix ops director, it's like, yep, uh, we have obsolescence. This is how much it is. You know, we reduced it by 5% year over year. And a fix ops is like, okay, well, that's, that's doing his job. That's doing her hey, job. Hey, I checked all the boxes today. I, I checked all, right. all the boxes today. I'm, I'm going home. And yeah. But the difference being, it. like, when you get a parts manager who's like, okay, we've got $120,000 of, you know, I'm coming in brand new, first 90 days, I've got $120,000 of obsolescence. How do we get that to 60? And how do we get that to 60 in 90 days? Those are the people that make massive differences because that obsolescence is just literally $60,000 of inventory that you're not doing anything with. It's 60,000. How much money can you, can you make with that $60,000 of parts? What can you do with it? Can you work with the service manager to create policies, processes, and maybe even, even services to say, hey, I've got a 15-year-old part, but I've got 15 of them that fits a GMC Sierra uh, in this window. Let's, let's do a canvas to our customers who own, own that vehicle to do this service. Like something like that. Yeah. But having the mental capacity and the mental drive to go, okay, this is what we're going to do going forward. This is how we're going to solve this situation. 
What is a situation similar to that, Freddie, that you've been in? <laughs> so I, I uh, inherently uh, have this uh, sickness in the head, and I usually end up at dealerships that are struggling, that have an inventory problem. And I kind of come in there and I fix it. Um, but previous guys have tried and struggled and haven't been able to figure it out. One of the things that I discuss when I'm sitting down with, you know, GMs or dealer principals, you know, service managers, when I'm sitting down with them, you know, they're thinking, oh, you know, parts has a big problem. Okay. Well, how did you, how did you explain it? How did you dissect it? Um, When we're going into variable side, you know, when we're talking about used cars and we're talking about idle capital, idle capital is where they get it. Because when we're talking about the variable side, you know, a used car that sits for like 14 days that's that's terrible. You're like, why hasn't this car turned around? Why is this car still on the lot? You know, what's what's going on? And you're starting to find out, you know, what is going on with this car? Was it a bad investment? Did we turn this one around? This one has it even been, you know, UCI process in your service department? What's going on? Why do we still have this car? You know, red flags start going up. Everybody makes a big deal of it because they're thinking about the dollar value of this vehicle that's sitting on their lot, that they're not getting any return on investment. It's the same thing in the parts department. When you're talking about, you know, idle capital in the parts department, you're talking about, you know, your nine-month inventory, your 12-month inventory. You've got idle capital. You know, parts department, depending on the size of your department, you're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, you know, idle, you know, hopefully not idle capital, but you're responsible for this. You know, if you think think about it as a blank check, you know, you're responsible for $100,000, $300,000, you know, a million dollars if you're in a high-volume dealership. Whatever, whatever it is, what does your idle capital look like? And why aren't you having the discussion about, hey, you've been sitting in this for way too long. You've actually invested more in having it sit on your shelf than what you've gotten, you know, getting it off the shelf, writing it off, what, what have you. Mm-hmm. you know, retaining it is just costing you so much year over year. I mean, there's dealerships out there that they don't do anything with it. They just leave it on the shelf. You know, you get, then all of a sudden you've got, you know, 24 months you know, idle capital, get rid of it. You know, that is holding you back. Those are dollars you can't invest in something, you know, that would be beneficial to the dealership. Just like in the used car department, if a vehicle sits for too long, they get rid of it. You know, it goes to the auction, it goes wholesale, it goes, they get rid of it. They know to get rid of it, but nobody takes that kind of seriousness in the parts department. They just continue to sit on it and rotate it. And you're just going to continue to crush yourself from the inside. Get rid of it. It is doing you absolutely no favors by sitting on your shelf, except for holding on to those dollars and making your inventory look terrible. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes it's a blessing, though. And this is where I'll, I'll, do, I'll throw a complete devil's advocate for those that they're holding on or right. hoarding, hoarding parts. So I was working on a um, 1996 ZX11R, okay? <laughs> Kawasaki ZX11, 1996. This bike sat in uh, my owner's showroom since 96. Okay. The individual bought it in 96. It has the PDI mileage on it. So we're like four kilometers or so, so forth. So the owner has stored it at our facility for that long. We're talking 26, 27 years, decided to sell it. So, it sat in the showroom. It's, it's had the tires reinflated uh, several times over, over the course. And so you can imagine how, how donut those tires are. So <laughs> we did 
we did uh, repairs on it to get it roadworthy because obviously dry rot has set in on the tires and brake fluid and so on. So we've done some repairs and stuff on it to get it back up. So my partner in crime, my baymate, um, took the fuel tank off to check everything out, check spark plugs, check the filter. And of course, he picked up the air filter and the air filters on this thing is just basically foam. He picks it up and it literally disintegrates in his hand. Oh. Absolutely disintegrates <laughs> in his hand into nothingness. And we're looking at each other. This is a 27-year-old bike. And the customer wants it end of day. <laughs> uh, 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 what do we do? And of course, All the questions, all, yeah. All the questions, all the questions. So obviously the, the owner was a Cowie dealer back in 96. They're no longer a Cowie dealer. But... The owner goes to the back parts counter, to the back wall, to where all the Cowie parts used to live on a regular basis, and on the top shelf, on the very, very top shelf, <laughs> pulls the slim box off, blows all the dust off, and here we have a brand new, sealed in a vacuum sealed with oiled air filter from 1996. Oh, and man. So... Uh, had to look up what the current what the what, what the value is and, and look it up and priced out. But there are those times where that becomes yeah. a like had it right. But how much money did that air filter actually cost? For exactly, exactly. And you feel like uh, he feels like the hero. Yeah, you know what? I happen to have one of those. He knows exactly where it's at. He knows yep. probably how long it's been sitting there. Yeah, he dusted off the box. Oh, look, you know, it's still in the, the plastic on the inside or what what have you. But, you know, yeah. he, he feels like the hero. I'm like, why do you have that? Yes, okay, yes, you absolutely saved the day this time. But uh-huh. why do you have that? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's those stories uh, from the good parts managers um, yeah. that we all have, the ones that hold on to things and the horror things. So we might need it one day. Well, it's one yeah. thing to have one. It's one thing yeah. to have one. Like, sure. there was only one of these air filters on the shelf. There isn't 10, right? There isn't 20 or 30. No. It's yeah. one. We can somewhat let that slide, especially on a bike <laughs> that back in the day, that air filter fit, I think, I think that air filter fit like five or six different bikes. So I digress. Yeah. But yeah. every parts manager, even the good ones, have whatever you want to call it, a drawer. A mm-hmm. shelf, a plastic bin, you know, a totes. Mm-hmm. They they've got something up their sleeve that because they know what they've got. You know, they've got a handful of parts. You know, and it, uh, again, yeah, I'll let that slide as well because everybody everybody's got one. I, I'm mm-hmm. guilty of that myself. Everybody's got something that was super popular once upon a time. Mm-hmm. You know, not so much now, but you know, you know what's coming. But at the same time, that should not occupy the majority of your space if it's. No. Filling your office or filling your your storage area, or what should be re- your receiving area, that no boy, no, that's no, that's no good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's an awesome backstory there. A little bit about obsolescence and, and some learning <laughs> in there. So what is it that's kept you in? Uh, kept you in as we talked. We talked about your beginning. We we talked about your story thus far. You know, we talked to and so forth. What what's your piece of advice? Um, it can be for parts managers, but I'd love to hear what your piece of advice that you've learned that you'd give to technicians over the last uh, many years. So one of the amazing things, I've, I've talked with so many technicians over the years, 
one of the things that they don't get it because they're not a, a customer facing employee, you know, for the most part, once in a while, they'll, they'll say hi to a customer or whatever, but the majority of technicians are not customer facing employees. One of the things that I tell them is, yes, you've got a service advisor going out there, you know, selling, selling stuff for the vehicle, selling repairs, but technicians are the ones actually doing the work. The technicians are the ones that actually put care into the vehicle. You know, a technician can do either a really great job or, or a terrible job if they're not trying. But I try to encourage every technician, absolutely put care into the vehicle like it was your own vehicle. You know, uh, use fender covers and, you know, don't put handprints all over the car or anything like that. But, you know, the, if the customer knows that they're getting quality repairs every, every time, they're going to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to keep coming back. They're going to keep seeing you. You know, they're going to know, even if they don't interact with you, their paperwork has your name on it as a technician. They're going to know, hey, you know, Steve works on my car. Al works on my car. Whoever it is, you know, they're going to know, hey, this is a really good mechanic. You know, this is a good technician. I'm going to continue to keep coming here because, you know, he found some stuff on my car that I didn't know about. You know, I was going to you know, Jiffy Lube or Midas or whatever. They didn't mm-hmm. tell me anything about this on my car, you know. So, you know, telling me that, you know, oh, I need, I'm going on a road trip and, you know, you found that noise, the the ball joint, whatever I needed, you know, and I'm going to keep coming to you because I, I have, I have that trust in you. So as a technician, put that care into the customer's vehicles, you know, you'd be surprised how many customers, you know, request the same technician over, over and over again. Oh yeah, this guy, you know, he fixed my car real nice last time. I want him to work on my car. You know, that's something technicians can take back with them is, you know, knowing that they put, hard work and care into somebody's car, you know, it gives you the warm and fuzzies. You know, if they know that, if they know that the customer said thank you, you know, which is another thing that advisors and managers don't always communicate to the techs. Oh, this guy was really excited and he was really happy with the service. Tell your techs that. Make them a part of that. You know, again, everybody likes knowing that they do a good job, but being a good person is just, is part of it. You know, um, you know, tell them the customer said really great things about them. Customers continue. Customers asking for you. You know, technicians love that stuff, and that's not always communicated. No, and I think it gets it gets lost in a bit of the translation from both sides of the coin. One, absolutely agree. If technicians want to improve their surroundings, improve their working environment, improve, you know, how they're communicated to, the best way to do that is to level up your own service. Right. Make sure yeah. that when if you're in a place that happens to not detail the cars or not wash the cars after you touch it, make sure you're the one going over the make sure you, you look at the steering wheel, look at the shift knob, look at the door sills, look at the, uh, the, the outside door handle, look at the hood around the edges. Make sure you don't have any fingerprints anywhere. Make sure you don't have any footprints anywhere. Be meticulous when you put the floor mats down and the plastics on yeah. so that you're not touching anything that you're not supposed to, especially if it's a, especially if it's a white interior. <laughs> Yo, Ladies man. and gentlemen, I cannot tell you how many times as a, a service leader or somebody working around service with technicians, when I wasn't technicians, how much more I noticed the tiny little insignificant black marks that y'all leave when you're not paying attention when you get out of the car. Yeah. The, the biggest one the biggest one that I saw the most often that we leave as technicians is the tiny mark from the edge of our boots as we push to get out of the car. Yes. Right. 
There is a, there, we know there is a paper mat on the floor. That's awesome. But what happens is when we put our 180, 200, 240 pounds of energy through a angled piece on steel-toed boots that's covered in grease, we rip the paper, go right through the paper, and onto the mat. And if that happens to be a light brown or a white interior, that thing stands out like a sore thumb. And you'll never know you did it because then the paper moves slightly and covers up the mark. Yeah. <laughs> You're right on that. Yeah. Right? So then we go back and then somebody will say later, it's like, hey, you left you left the grease all over the car. And meanwhile, it's one... One mark. One little but you left all grease over all over the car. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I didn't leave. Like, I had plastic everywhere. I had paper down. What's going on? And lo and behold, that's, that was left. So do a double take. Look back. If you've already done the once over, take the stuff out of the car and look. Take the plastic and take the paper out of the car. So then you could look and say, ah, crap. Okay. Wipe, 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 wipe. All good to yep. go. All good to go. Yep. So that's awesome. And then the second port point of that is that you made is leadership or service advisors or porters communicating gratitude from the customer to the tech. That's absolutely super huge. Not all of us require constant val validation because that is, that is, that's a thing. That's an insecurity thing that we need to learn. Much of men don't do well without validation. And some of us, never receive the kind of validation and appreciation that we deserve. So we seek it often. Um, I'm finding as I, I learn about myself, especially, um, but as I read more and, and learn more, but it's one thing to say it's validate. And then this is where I've had a couple of service leaders um, approach me on it. I don't want to have to validate a good job every time a good job is done by a technician in service. I say, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is communicating from the customer to the technician. If a customer says, please thank the technician for a service, I'm so happy about the service the technician gave me, make damn sure that you communicate yeah. that because that doesn't happen that often. So when it no. does happen, it's not leadership saying good job, it's the customer saying good job. That's right. a, that's monumental, monumental. <laughs> yes, I, I fully agree, yes, yes. Tell them, make sure that they know, make sure that they get, you know, they get that thanks for the customer because yeah i mean technicians they're 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 stressed out too you know i i got five waiters and i'm done you know and you're my only mechanic you know you're my only technician you know mm -hmm. those those days happen um but yeah i mean when you get a simple thank you i mean watching the guys in the shop just light up you know it's it means it means a lot to so many people especially mm -hmm. in this business yep and you go a step further you get when you have an opportunity to have a customer directly thank a, a technician and, and it's not always appropriate because sometimes you you're in a process that you are coaching the technician on how to speak to customers because there is a there is a, defi a defined line that most leaders good leaders can to say this individual should not be talking to customers yet <laughs> okay i have to i have to say yet because yeah, yet everybody yeah, i like that Every, every technician can be coached to a point where they are professional and proper in front of a customer. They may not be at that level yet, but say, hey, we, if you as a leader know, they, you should be communicating that to your technicians. Like, hey, I want you to know that I want you to have the abilities and skill sets to be able to talk to, tech, uh, to customers. 
you know, we're going to be onboarding video MPIs. I want you to speak more clearly, more communicate and like communicate more clearly, be more professional in the way that the business wants you to execute on this. Let's, let's do, you know, once a week, we'll do 10 minutes of role play once a week. Let, let, let's do that so we can get your communication level up so I can have you in front of customers more often so you can understand better what's going on so they can communicate to you better. That way we can alleviate or remove the service advisor from that, that story. They don't need to be middlemen when you have a question. If the customer is there in the waiting room talking about a noise, talk to the, the customer. You don't need the advisor there. The advisor's got 15 calls to make and he's got a drive through to service. They don't need to be there. That's when you can have the technician there. But if you haven't coached them through that process and coached them in their communication, that's going to be a problem and that's going to be a barrier. Um, the last thing we need in, in service are barriers to customer experience. So oh, man. <clears throat> that's awesome. I appreciate that. Freddie, it's been awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Good, sir. It's, it's amazing to be sharing experiences with, with other like-minded leaders. It's awesome. It doesn't matter where you come from. You know, you've got an idea, you know, and I'm, I'm happy that people are willing to, to share that kind of information. And thank you for, you know, just, just doing this and just being a part of that as well. You know, thank you for being a mentor to me. You know, it, it means a lot. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much, Freddie. I, I really do. And, and that is really the, the ultimate goal when I started this. Uh, it's, we're going on a while now. So when I started this way back, um, it was just to give ultimately perspective from from the shop floor like there's not a whole lot of perspective out there from the shop floor and the stuff that is out there is mostly negative there's a whole lot of positive there's a whole lot of positive that can come from being a technician there's a whole lot of positive that can come from what we output in terms of the business we can grow as a community just trying to get the awareness out there that there's a lot of other great leaders out there trying to do the same thing from each perspective of of service Absolutely. Yeah. We, we need more Josh Taylors. We need, we need more, you know, technicians and dispatchers, you know, to speak up. You know, I think we need more know, Freddie. Hey. I, we need more Freddie's out there that, that got into automotive because they like the long hours, the low pay and then the lack of lunches. <laughs> I tell you, it's a, it's a luxurious lifestyle. Someone should try it. You know, you bring, there are days you bring your lunch to work even, and it just sits there, you know, cold in a corner because you probably don't have a fridge, you know, just sitting there stale. <laughs> that's a great life. You know, that, that's, that's my advertisement to, uh, you know, anybody wants to get an automotive, come on in. We have uh, yeah. Lack of lunches and long hours. It's lovely. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Oh, almost forgot the bloopers. Check it out. All righty. So Freddie, Let's try it again, buddy. Let's try it again. All right. Take 19. Take, take action. Take uh, 2319. 23. 23, 19. I love it already. Oh, no, wrenches. That's the end of another episode. Do you know there's going to be another one coming next week? I appreciate you all for tuning in and watching on Spotify and on YouTube, growing the channel and spreading the the word, the good word to the eyes and the ears of every mechanic we can possibly help. Folks, I, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and subscribe. And before we leave today, a quote as normal, but this one a little bit different, a little bit off my normal base. Paul tells us, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength 
but with your testing he will also provide the way so that you may be able to endure it. Remember folks, negative pushes, positive pulls, and always clean your toys before you put them away.